Let's pause in prayer as we prepare to think about this study of God's goodness. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you might be speaking to us today, teaching us of yourself, challenging us of our carelessness in our contact and communication with you. And may we understand that you are good and that you do good and you call us to walk in your way. We pray you to bless this time now through Christ our Lord. Amen. So we're continuing our study in the fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians chapter 5. We reached this morning number 6 on the list of those nine fruit of the Spirit, which is goodness. And one of the few blessings in our changeable weather of this uh, summer is that although you cannot be confident of sunny days, you recognise that once the sunshine and the showers mix, you're almost certain to see a rainbow or two. And the colours in a rainbow are clearly discernible, but not distinguishable. You can see the yellow, orange, indigo or violet, but they run into each other and it's difficult to identify precisely where one ends and the next begins. And so it is with the fruit of the Spirit. They're not always easily distinguished, but they merge into one another. They're not multiple fruit, but one. Last Sunday morning, we were thinking about kindness, a different kind of kindness, a kindness that is unique because it is utterly selfless and thoroughly sacrificial. As Lee Camp writes, to walk in God's way requires a willingness to move beyond a cold, calculating prudence. And there is nothing prudent about the kindness that is the fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's prodigal, it's extravagant. And tonight, as we turn to think about goodness, we'll realise that kindness and goodness are often indistinguishable to us. The scripture uses these ideas interchangeably. But as we seek to discern the distinctiveness of Spirit-enabled goodness, the, the big lesson that we need to learn this morning is this, that God is good. Goodness is at the very core of his being. And then we need to see what that means for us day by day and how we are to mirror his goodness to this world. In C.S. Lewis's classic children's novel, The Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe, we read these familiar words from Mr. and Mrs. Beaver to the children. They say, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I'd thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. 
but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Aslan is the mysterious figure that represents the person of Jesus. And Mr. Beaver's conclusions about him are very helpful to us. He isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king. God is good. And this goodness is a a terrifying goodness. In the beginning, everything that was made by this good God was good. The creator spoke and brought all things into being. And every day there was a celebration of the goodness of, of that which was formed. God saw that it was good. But the perfect goodness of the world became marred as sin entered and death swiftly followed. The very ground beneath our feet is cursed, thoroughly stained by Adam's sinful choice. The Apostle Paul writes to the Romans, quoting Psalm 53, saying, As it is written, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Romans 3 verses 10 to 12. God is good. Terrifyingly good. Because only God is good. But but tragic as this circumstance is, this was not the end. Throughout the Old Testament, we see God reaching out to people, drawing people to himself. Why? Because in all the ungoodness of our world and our lives, our Father God wants us to know his goodness. He wants us to know his goodness through revelation. As I was saying to the children, in Exodus 33, we find this rather peculiar conversation between Moses and God. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Exodus 33 verses 18 to 22. Moses wanted to see God's glory. But God revealed to his servant his goodness. And this seems a little strange. Apologies that this next part is a little bit technical but hopefully helpful. And that is that the glory of God is presented to us in two parts or two components. The essential component, God's essence, 
as Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 16, that he dwells in unapproachable light and no one has ever seen him. The essence of God is too much for us to bear, the weight of which, which is what glory literally means, that word, would, would crush any of us. There is the essential component, and then there is the ethical component. And that is how God's character is displayed towards us. Thus, God explains that he's going to make his goodness pass before Moses. His grace and mercy will be declared. Moses cannot experience the fullness of God's glory because it would crush him. But it was just possible to see one facet of that glory in God's terrifying goodness, which he is eager to reveal to us. But even God's undiluted goodness would have been too much for Moses to bear. And so he's taken and hidden in the cleft of the rock. That rock which is later described as being by or beside God. Thus we have this great image that the only way Moses could experience anything of God's reality was that he was hidden in the rock. And the rock, as Paul would explain in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4, that rock is Jesus. So when God wants us to know him, and to see him revealed through his terrifying goodness. And we'll unpack that idea a little bit more in a moment. God wants us to know his goodness through revelation. And secondly, he wants us to know his goodness through salvation. God wants us to experience his touch uh, as he works out good in the lives of his people. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 9 verse 6. Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you're a stubborn people. The New Living Translation puts it like this. You must recognize that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land because you are good, for you are not. You're a stubborn people. The rescue of the Israelites was not because they were good, they were anything but. Yet God is always good and he is ever working good into the lives of his people. He is ever saving them from their sinful, evil choices. And he turns all things, no matter how evil, how bad they may appear to us, for his own good purposes. This has never been seen more clearly than at the cross, where the most wicked act of man in the killing of the sinless Son of God becomes the means whereby we might experience salvation. In those familiar words with which we began our service, Romans 8, 28, Paul writes, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. We may not like all that is included in all things, but if we are God's children, then all things are for our good. Peter Marshall was born in poverty in Lanarkshire, but emigrated to the United States and was twice made chaplain to the United States Senate. And he said this, 
God will not permit any troubles to come upon us unless he has a specific plan by which great blessing can come out of the difficulty. God wants us to know his goodness through revelation and salvation. So why then is God's goodness necessarily terrifying to us? Well, the Greek word for goodness is agathosune. It describes an uprightness of life and heart. Someone who expresses such goodness is, is someone who lives perfectly straight. And the big problem is that such a person clearly demonstrates the crookedness, the twistedness of others. I'm, I'm sure you've done this. You're drawing a line on a, with a pen on a piece of paper and you think you're drawing a straight line. Or maybe you're cutting with scissors or with a saw. And having done this, you set your straightness against the perfection of a ruler and suddenly you see how repeatedly and how far you have strayed and this biblical idea of goodness is doing the right thing particularly as it reveals the not goodness in others so we see such goodness demonstrated in the life of Jesus, this gentle Jesus, meek and mild, who, who takes a whip of cords and drives out the money changers from the temple courts. We could not refer to this as being kind, but it was certainly good. And these initiatives, writes uh, Terry Johnson, may not be what is wanted, but they are at times what is needed, what is necessary. Gary read for us the words of Jesus, Luke 11, 11 and 12. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Now, it's a bit of an exaggeration, but it seems as though our world has changed. And children ask their parents or even tell their parents that they want snakes, they want scorpions. And all too often parents looking for a quiet life will give their children anything and everything they ask for. Meet their every demand. They, they never say no because that makes the parents life difficult in those moments when this child starts to cry and stamp his feet. I realize that's an oversimplification. But parents have to make a choice. You can have peace now, but serious problems later. Or you can have problems now and peace later. The question is this. Do I want what's best for my children in the long term? Or do I want what's best for me now? Goodness is shown when parents say, I love you too much to say yes to something that will ultimately hurt you. It's like the surgeon who sought to reassure a little boy who was about to go into theatre saying, I may hurt you, but I will never harm you. And God's love for you is too great to allow your life's choices of sin to go unchecked. The fruit of the Spirit that is goodness is different. It is terrifying because 
many times in love for us, it hurts. God, because he is good, will hurt you for your good. Particularly because he loves you, he will uncover the sin in your life and that always hurts. It's five years ago now this summer, the summer of 2015, that, that news broke that the Ashley Madison website a website that had been established to make it easier for people to have affairs had been hacked and the details of millions of subscribers had been openly placed online. And it was reported at the time that somewhere around 300 pastors in the United States of America would have to resign because their sins had been revealed. And this is the terrifying goodness of God. You uh, and I need to have our sin unmasked. And when you think about that, does it not terrify you? We may not like it. It will certainly be greatly discomforting in the short term. But in the long term, it is for our good. Our Father God wants us to know his goodness. And our Father God wants us to show his goodness. And there's a contrast that, that needs to be drawn between being good and doing good. Being good only comes through a right relationship with Jesus Christ. He comes and works in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls, and he changes them. He makes them into new creations. Hearts are transplanted, stone replaced by flesh. And such hearts have the law of God engraved by his spirit upon them. And this is the only way in which we can be good. Such goodness is a gift to be received and rejoiced in. It's not a, a project to be pursued leading to pride. And goodness is what God fairly expects from his children because he enables and empowers them to achieve it. Being good is an outcome of the presence and power of the Spirit of God at work in the life of the believer. And doing good is the daily outworking of the Spirit-dependent life. The Apostle Peter preached a simple sermon in the home of Cornelius and it included these words. Acts 10, 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. A Japanese man called Kagawa made this comment. I read in a book that a man called Jesus went about doing good. It was very disconcerting to me that I am so satisfied with just going about. To rise to this challenge is no small thing. And if we offer our lives as living sacrifices to God, that he might display his goodness to the world through us, it will not make us popular. We will have this responsibility to unmask the sin that is concealed in the lives of others. Not in a self-righteous, judgmental manner, standing at a distance and throwing stones metaphorically or even literally. 
of people who do not live good lives. That does no good for men and brings no glory to God. There is a better way. We're not to be those who have a negative sort of goodness. I hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil goodness. But with spirit-formed Christ-likeness, we ought to be active and attractive people who reveal God's goodness to a watching world. God incarnated goodness. He wrapped it in human flesh. He came and lived among us and we saw God's goodness in Jesus. And we need to be in deep, loving relationships with others. If they are to see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives and and to grant permission to us for such terrifying goodness to break their hearts and to turn them from sin. We need to sacrificially serve the world around us that we might challenge and transform it. And our impetus for this is to know that God's goodness doesn't just expose sin, it dies for our sin. When Abraham was prevented from the sacrifice of his son Isaac on Mount Moriah, God spoke and said, Genesis 22 verse 16, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. Abraham opened himself up to greater blessing through his willingness to sacrifice that which was most dear to him in the service of God. And our good God has proven his right to lovingly challenge our conduct. Because he did not stay his hand as he sacrificed his son upon Calvary's mountain. The greatest pain in the unmasking of our sin is not born by us, but was born by Jesus for us. And we show his goodness when we say with Paul those words of Galatians 2 and 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Know God's goodness. Show God's goodness. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you desire to uproot sin from our lives. We understand that work is painful, for we cherish our sin. We nourish it in our lives. We make a treasured place for it in our hearts. But you love us too much to allow us to persist in sinful living. And in your terrifying goodness, you come to show us our sin and to remove our sin. Father, may we see the goodness of our our good God's love to us in this. Not only do you want to cleanse us of our sin, 
but you've earned the right to do that, costly as it may be to us, because it was infinitely more costly to you through the sacrifice of Christ on Calvary's cross. So Lord, may we know your goodness. May we show your goodness. May we, dependent daily upon your Holy Spirit within us, live in the manner that is worthy of you, challenging, confronting a sinful world, and daily experiencing your renewing power within us, enabling us to die more and more unto sin and to live unto righteousness. For the honour of your name we pray. Amen.